Hi, my beautiful people. This is Spill With Me, Jenny D. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited. I've been wanting to do this for so long. I'm giving you a real big hug right now. I don't know if you can feel it, but I'm giving you this big hug because I feel like everybody needs a hug or a, hey, you're doing great or you look nice or just compliment each other. I mean, see, I felt like I needed to start this because I've been running into so many people that just want to talk about their life experiences, the relationships or like any story they needed to share. This could be something magical or something they wanted to share, but they're afraid of what others would think, me included. Or if you're hurting inside or have a funny story about life lessons you'd like to talk about, I would love for you to reach out. This could be the worst or your best times. Listen, I have some good topics. We're going to have a lot of fun because I believe the best medicine is to talk about it because someone else is dealing with the same shit. Hi, my beautiful people. Another episode of Spill With Me, Jenny D. I am here with Dr. Mary Lamb. Dr. Mary Lamb is a primary care physician. She's located in McMurray, PA. And her and I were discussing, talking about different diseases and things that you know men and women are going through. And she definitely is that person who you can go to. She is an expert what she does. And she just is such, she brings this relaxed atmosphere in her office. And wait till you hear some more Dr. Mary Lamb. Okay, <laughs> further ado, honey. Say hi to the listeners. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk today. Absolutely. So tell us, Dr. Lamb, how did you, when you were in high school and college, what made you think, you know what, I want to be a physician? Gosh, for me, it was, it was easy. I've wanted to I've wanted to do this for my whole life. As far as long as I can remember, kids would get hurt on the playground. Or, <laughs> Anytime, and I'd be like running over there. I loved blood. I'm like, what happened? Can I help you? So for the longest time, I I had it easy. You know, I think as people grow up, they don't know what they want to do. I've right. always known I wanted to be a doctor. Always, you, always. You were always there with your band-aid. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It. So yeah. So for me, it was easy. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I think a lot of kids will say, "Oh, okay. You know, when you're growing up, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, mm-hmm. you know." But for you to go through the schooling, I mean, was there ever a time where you were just like, I this is a lot. I can't do this. Gosh, it was, I mean, incredibly rigorous for sure. It's a big commitment um, and you, you know, incur lots of financial debt and all those kinds of things. I, I mean, I had, I definitely had my trials and tribulations along the way, but it was always about medicine for me. I just love taking care of people. I thought I wanted to do orthopedic surgery initially. So my whole early life, I prepared for that career and I did an internship with an orthopedic surgeon in high school, for example, and loved did and then um, did a lot of things in college to prepare. Then I even took a year off in between college and med school to do research and I worked with the Capitals and the Bullets in D.C. Got published in orthopedics and then when I did um, medical school I did rotations in ortho. I loved it. I loved it but I met with the chairman to try to get a letter for residency that you have to go through these certain things in order to apply for residency and he didn't even open my file. Why? Because I'm female. No way. So back then it was just, you know, the, the residency program That's that I awful. wanted to go to. How many to. years ago was this? Oh gosh, I graduated from med, from med school a long time ago. Shh. But um, but it was long enough that it, you know it's different now. There are many many women in orthopedics now, which is which is great, and there should be. Right. And I I have no trouble. I sort of lots of things roll off my back. I had no trouble being in a male dominated environment, and had done rotations and had done well, and had crafted my whole life to do this. So when he 
didn't even give me the time of day um, when I I knew I was well prepared. It was right. it was frustrating. So it, you know when it, when a door closes, another one opens. And so exactly, uh, yeah. So I I reevaluated. What do I like? What do, what don't I like? And I recognized that I love a little bit of everything. So um, did some rotations in primary care. Did a lot of non-operative now, sports medicine. What state were you at? Um, so I grew up in the D.C. area. I went to undergrad um, in Princeton, New Jersey. Went to Princeton okay. and then um, wonderful. Took a year off uh, in DC and worked then, and then um, and then went to UVA medical school. How many years? Yeah. Of, how many? How many years of schooling was that? Gosh, so uh, <laughs> undergrad, um, medical school, and then residency. I did three years of primary care residency up here in Pittsburgh at St. Margaret UPMC St. Margaret, and then I did a year of academic fellowship, and then I taught for ten. All years All these big on. words, Doctor Lamb. I, I'm going to need a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot of school and a lot of kids. I get so fascinated yeah. by doctors because I think to myself, if we didn't have these doctors going to school and sacrificing so much time, you know, to learn so many different things. And Dr. Mary Lamb is a doctor who is, she's like a, she's someone who you can go to for your dermatology, for your Help me, doctor. Gynecology. Gynecology. Yeah. <laughs> For just routine primary physicals, physical. primary care, yes. anything, okay. illnesses. Yeah, right. I do. I'm a jack of all trades, right. which and is you great. Do families, like yeah, it's not I do families, just, right? I do kids and adults, cradle about. to grave. Yep. Yes, and then you really get to know their history, and you get to mm-hmm. so then you can see things and how they play out. Mm-hmm. So then you know, you know more about your patients than a lot of other doctors would know. Yeah, I opened. Um, you know, I opened a special practice. I do concierge family medicine. And now, um, I haven't always done that, obviously, but uh, six years ago, I had a, a sister pass away from a brain tumor, which was life-changing oh, for me. So, so sad. And it really just made me reflect and want to do things differently. Um, and so I, I chose to go outside the traditional system and, and open this practice so that I could still cherish the relationship with patients. It's right. the most important part. Right? You know what? It's almost like when you're in a situation or somebody in your close friends or family and something happens to them, it actually, the life goes off and you say, you know what? I need to be that person. I need to be the advocate. I need to be the person who, you know, knows about this and what she's gone through. I mean, did you do some research after she passed? Oh gosh, I, you know, that was, it was such a troubling time. It it was tough, but it does, it, it allows you to pause and reflect on, on how you're living your life and right. what's important and what's important to you. Um, and I, I consider that a gift that she gave me, yes. you know, um, Absolutely. and tried to take all that pain and, and sadness and do something positive about it or, or with it. And so I opened this practice with lots of passion and lots of credit to her giving me the guts to do yes, it, you know, it, yes. um, and, and taking a big risk. Giving you the strength like the that. that you can do it. She was a uh, mechanical and aerospace engineer and was and was in a very male-dominated oh world and was goodness. larger than life. I wow. mean, entered the room. She was. She lit up the room. She just had this <laughs> big personality, and and she no. was always one that would go for it. So you, she you gave me that you, push. You know, we're just like her. I'm so proud of you. Aww. You know, you're doing so well. I think about her every day. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? The more you talk about people and just bring out their life, and you yeah, know, it just it makes you feel. Like, they're still here. Right, exactly. The more you talk about them. But uh, as Dr. Lamb and I were talking, this was a couple weeks ago, we were really trying to think of what medical would be something that we feel like people need to know about and we need to be aware of, we need to, like, start taking care of ourselves because after COVID... 
Do you think a lot of things changed? Yeah, I mean, people were just so isolated. So their their everyday habits and their everyday ways to take care of themselves changed dramatically. They weren't going to gyms anymore. Right. They were cooking at home. They weren't really having the structure of a work day or a school day. So lots of people were drinking more right. and just um, depressed. Uh, yes, the mental health aspect. I mean, there's so many caveats with, with COVID. It changed all of our lives um, significantly. So it's been nice coming out of it and trying to get people back on track and trying to have people look at how, how they're living, how they're taking care of themselves, how they can make some changes that can, can be better for them. And for some people, it was a wake up call. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. like you said, you don't know what's going to happen. So if you live your life thinking like, it's not going to happen to me or, you know, it could happen to me, you have to have that courage to say, you know what, I'm going to do something I've never done. Because mm-hmm. COVID really stopped us from thinking, oh, wait, yeah, we're not unstoppable. Like, right. Happen, <laughs> right. Know? And you take so many things for granted. And then all really of a sudden, do. all those things and opportunities and, and everyday life that you might have resented, right. all of a sudden you're grateful for, right? You know, just going uh, to you know, the just store. Right. Anything. Yeah. Just, oh gosh, just going out to eat, going, uh, right. you know, going to the gym, going to work, going to, exactly. like, going to school. And, to, and seeing people's faces and their smiles mm-hmm. and being able to talk to people. And I, I think, you know, that just re- really put us in a, a world spin. But mm-hmm. as we were talking, hon, heart disease, what month is heart disease? Is it February? It's February, okay. yeah. But it, but gosh, it's always worth talking about because right. it's, it's so common. It's the most common thing that we that we treat as, as physicians. It's the most common thing we see. I was going to say, okay, so for some reason, I don't know if a lot of women and men are aware that this is the number one cause of deaths for mostly mm-hmm. women. Uh, no, men too. Oh, yeah. really? But it, but I think that's sort of known more. I think the the popular opinion is that that it's a male disease or, or much more right. um, male dominated than than female dominated, and it's not. You know, so so it's the leading so cause of death for women cause. as well. So, okay, can you explain to us heart disease, heart attack? Mm-hmm. Is there a difference? Oh yeah, um, yeah. So there, there are lots of forms of heart disease. I think it's a big basket that we put everything into. But a heart attack is a specific type of heart disease where someone has a blockage in an artery, which is a, a blood vessel that feeds the heart. Um, so if there's a blockage in there and the and the heart ca- muscle cannot get enough blood, that causes a heart attack. Okay. So that's a that's a specific type of heart disease and is is common. There's also rhythm disturbances that people can get. So what does that mean? Means the heart isn't beating correctly. So those are common as well. Um, like atrial fibrillation is the probably the most common one that people have heard of. I think, um, and it's just when the heart beats very fast and irregular. Now, so. and you're sitting at home right now, and you're listening to our podcast. How would you know? Sometimes you don't know that you have coronary artery disease, and um, most of the time with rhythm disturbances, you feel it. You know, you feel that your heart's either racing, or you feel palpitations, or you feel that it's irregular all the time, or you feel your pulse and it's jumping all over the place. And not all of those feelings are an abnormal rhythm. Sometimes people have just palpitations or something called PVCs, premature ventricular contractions, or PACCs, premature artery atrial contractions. And those are just blips that people feel. Sometimes those can be happening all the time and people don't even feel those. So the the sensation of them is is variable between patients. So, and this has been going on for how long? Like, do you feel like it's becoming like in the past couple years or that it's becoming more prevalent or do you think heart disease? Yes. Um, I think 
it uh, maybe we're better at picking it up. You know, we have better tests for it, and we certainly have better treatment. So, the treatments that we have really help people live better longer, um, even if they're more at risk for heart disease. So, is so, it hereditary? Oh, sure, can be. Yeah, and it's a lot of very lifestyle based too. But yes, if someone has a strong family history of heart disease, it's much more common that they're going to have it as well. So, when uh, someone, a patient, goes to their doctors, do they have to ask for them to check? for their heart or do they say, Hey, can you check to see if I have heart disease? I mean, how do you go about that? Yeah. So usually when someone is being evaluated, I think it depends on the setting. So if somebody is coming in just for a physical, then we usually look at all of the, all of the risk factors for heart disease. So family history is one of them, but, um, what is their, what's their BMI? What's their weight? What's their blood pressure? What's their pulse? What's their activity level? Are they having any symptoms? And then blood work, you know, checking cholesterol, checking to make sure they don't have diabetes or blood sugar problems. So that's on the on the you know preventative side, so the physical right. side. But if someone's coming in with chest pain, you know, that's a different thing. Than so that's a sign if you have chest pain? It's a sign for sure. What is the number one sign, Dr. Lamb? Um, chest pain is the most common. Chest pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, change the And when you say chest pains, hon, do you mean like, oh, my heart? Because sometimes I feel like, You'll get pains in your chest, but you really don't know if it's your heart or if mm-hmm. it's just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how would you describe I, I think it's hard, right? Because there are lots of things in the chest that cause pain, right? right. So it's not necessarily heart disease um, if feeling chest pain. But um, some things that differentiate cardiac chest pain from other causes is exertional. Like if you're if exercising or you're going up the stairs or you're doing something active and you feel chest pain, then that's more concerning than if you're feeling chest pain at rest. And lots of women feel chest pain at rest, especially if they're anxious or it's in the evening or something happens, they they feel that and they worry, you know, right. that, it, that it's, it's the cardiac the chest pain. Do you think pain. it's the stress that we have? Uh, stress can certainly, you know, cause chest pain. Panic attacks can cause chest pain. Right. How, yeah. How do you, you know, know lots, different? Lots of things. Right. So when it's cardiac, it's often exertional and uh, and then often people have risk factors underneath that, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, inactivity, family history, those kinds of things can uh, make me more aware if someone comes in with chest pain that I'm going to be more worried about that right. or more likely to, to work it up. Other, you know, anxiety type of chest pain is usually uh, different. It's usually at rest. It's usually when people are stressed and feeling different things. Um, it's certainly a big component of a panic attack. Right. Um, I think a, yeah. I had a, a girl on a couple months ago, and she talked about having a panic attack, and she thought she was having a heart attack. Right, that's what people think, and so then they start thinking that, and then they right. get more anxious. I so know it's hard, but it's so scary. Um, and then there's other things too. There's reflux disease can cause chest pain as well. Oh, um, sometimes just muscular um, issues, and for women, because women have breasts, they have more tenderness in the chest wall anyway, because that weight of the breast pulls on the attachments of the ribs. And and all of the soft tissues to the breastbone. And so lots of women have palpable pain in their chest and they worry about that being being heart disease. That's not, it's more muscular. Yes. But again, another, another cause of chest pain that worries a lot of women that I see. You know, we need to really be aware because what age, I mean, I don't know, is there an age or is it just any? Yes. I mean, over 50, we get more concerned okay. um, for sure, just because um, because more more time has occurred for coronary artery disease to develop. The food we eat. Um, that's a, that's a component. 
You know, so okay. sometimes if people are eating eating high cholesterol foods or just fast foods, not healthy foods, they can have increased cholesterol, and then it, cholesterol plugs up so the like coronary arteries, it, like blocks the arteries, creates okay. plaque in the coronary arteries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so diet's component, yeah. Yes. And so is high blood pressure. So high blood pressure is hard on the heart. You know, if you have hypertension, that's something you can't feel, and a lot of people can have high blood pressure for years and not know it. So going to the doctor is important to get that uh, checked and just make sure that your blood pressure is normal again, especially if you have a family history. Right. Because I know people that I'm not going to mention their names, but uh, they haven't <laughs> been to the doctors in years. Right. So many people. And they're over 50. Yeah. Yeah. They think, you know, it, I'm fine. I feel I'm fine. fine. I don't need I to I feel go. good. Yeah. Yes. But there's such value in, in getting preventative physical yes. and finding out what your blood pressure is and, and looking at your weight, looking at your lab work, looking at your cholesterol, making sure you don't have diabetes. Many of these things can creep up on people, especially as we're busy midlife, right? right. With with our jobs and kids and running around like crazy. Everybody's got super busy packed schedules. So taking time to make sure their health is okay is often something they put on the back burner. But boy, does it pay off in the in the retirement years and the, the 60s and 70s if people are able to, you know, number one, follow a healthy lifestyle. Number two, just make sure they're looking at things and treating what, what's found. So right. I don't know if this question is even relevant, but do you think the environment that you live in, the certain kind of, you know, like in Pittsburgh, we have so many different types of weather. I mean, do you think that has anything to do with heart disease or no? Well, we certainly know that there are belts in the, you know, in the U.S. if you look at heart disease um, populations and it's worse in areas that have higher tobacco use and higher obesity rates. Oh, really? mm -hmm. So that gives it more of a predominance than particularly the climate or the influences from an environmental standpoint. So, but yeah, so if, if people follow, if people tend in certain areas to follow a poor lifestyle, then, right. <laughs> then, then, you know, they have a higher incidence of heart disease. So then I, there was another question, like with your left arm, mm-hmm. if it goes numb, like I'll be sleeping mm-hmm. and I'll think, oh my gosh, my left arm is numb. You know, yeah. I'm like, does that have anything to do with your heart? Sure. Because yeah. I think everybody talks yeah. about Yeah. So the classic angina is chest pain that feels like pressure in the chest, someone sitting on your chest, and it is associated with several ancillary symptoms. And those are radiation up to the jaw and the, and the neck, and then radiation down the left arm, um, radiation to the back sometimes. Oh, wow. Uh, and then nausea can, can be a part of it as well. And shortness of breath diaphoresis too, meaning sweaty. People get sweaty. Um, And of course, all of these things are, you know, similar features of panic attacks or, (laughs) you know, other things. So it's, it's a tough one. It's it's a tough, tough tough thing to tease out sometimes, but um, it always gets our attention. And if somebody is having a panic attack from a medical standpoint, we always have to rule out medical causes first, you know, before we're, we're going to end up thinking that something is, you know, a panic attack or something more psychological. The medical stuff has to be ruled out first. Yeah. Right. That's important. True. So you have to do like an exam. Yeah. You have to mm-hmm. really check everything. A physical mm-hmm. exam. Physical exam, right. blood Phys- pressure, you know, pulse labs, chest x-ray, EKG. Yeah. Right. And do you recommend if there's a patient out there and they feel... Like you said, we don't know a panic attack, but they feel that shortness of breath. They're starting to sweat. They're having nausea. They're, do mm-hmm. you suggest them to go right to the hospital? Yes. I mean, if they're if they're having those symptoms, uh, 
um, it for sure important to get checked out. If they're having symptoms that are mild and intermittent, then they can go to their family doctor. They can go to their PCP and, and figure out, you know, what next to do. Try to look at their risks and see what that could be. But if if someone's having really acute symptoms and they're either new or they haven't had them before, or they're if, especially if they're exertional, then then it's important to get checked out right away. You, know, you don't waste any time <laughs> if it, you know, to to if it is truly a cardiac issue, you just don't want to sit home and think it's going to go away. I know. Women tend to have less classic symptoms than men. I think that's one of the hard things for women. They, they first of all, don't think that they're going to get it, <laughs> you know, yes. uh, like men are. And, and then they have some atypical symptoms. So sometimes women will feel pain in the back and nausea or just fatigue uh, more than, you know, the, more than, than the classic angina with it, with the, someone sitting on my chest and radiation to the, to the neck, jaw, and the arm. And I wouldn't think anything of it if I was just tired or mm-hmm. I just wouldn't think anything of it. And I th- do you think that's why it's called the silent killer? Yes. I think, you know, lots of, lots of reasons that it can be. One is that the, it just doesn't register. <laughs> the yeah. symptoms aren't registering to people that, oh my gosh, I might be having a heart attack. Two is a lot of the problems that can cause it are also silent, like hypertension, sometimes diabetes. What is hypertension? Hypertension is high blood pressure. So okay. So that's the same as just same saying as high blood, blood pressure. pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I got an, I can't use my medical well, terms. You know, I, know, I, know, I, just, I know, yeah. The listeners, I'm like listening. Yeah, to sorry, sorry. Stuff down. Yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll make it more. Well, you're so uh, more lay to, talk. Yeah, you're so used to talking. I'm always going. Oh yeah, yeah. I know what that means. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, but I thought you know what? We'll let the listeners kind of just know that this is these symptoms that you could be having, or if you've had it in the past and you said, okay, wait, I had it and it went away. Mm -hmm. Is that still like, could it come back? Like I'm so unaware of heart disease because I just don't think about it. I don't know why it's not in our minds, which it probably should be. Yeah. I mean, um, so patients, it's interesting with, with angina. So you can have a slow blockage of an artery that causes angina every time you exert yourself. Okay, what's angina? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> angina is chest pain, chest, okay. chest pain um, that is associated with cardiac chest pain, um, meaning there's lack of blood flow to the heart. And that is what's causing okay. someone to have symptoms. So if someone is having that type of pain when they exercise, for example, every time they go walk right. and they go up the hill, they start feeling, you know, chest pain, shortness of breath, pressure in the chest. And then when they come down the hill, then they're there, it's better or they stop walking and it's fine. Okay. Then that's, that's something that's concerning. Oh, so. really? I was mm-hmm. going to think, okay. Cause I thought if you're walking down the hill, it goes away. So you're, so okay. you're okay. Yeah. But that just means something's there, right? That, that could oh, be treated, goodness. could be evaluated, you know? The hard thing is if people are just short of breath, well, gosh, you're going to be short of breath going up a hill. You're exercising, right? Exactly. And so it's hard to know when to when to work that up. But for most people, they can say it's new, different, changed. Right. right? It's not my typical. It's not my usual. Listen so, to your body. Yeah. I think a lot, you know, I'm not talking for anyone else. I'm thinking for myself. But during COVID, I felt shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. And I still do it. So it's like, okay, is it just COVID? Is it just, uh, you know, an aftermath of what happened with COVID or... It- could this be anything? Yeah, a lot of the long COVID symptoms have been difficult uh, to 
to know how much to work up or how much to do with them and shortness of breath. Oh gosh, lots of people have had that. And and we do know that COVID changed lung function for yes, a lot of people. Yes, that's what I was going to ask mm-hmm. you about the lungs. Right. It's really inflammatory uh, for the lungs. And, and if you have a bad case of it, it sometimes really does take a long time to get back. Right. Um, but we also know, having been going through this for three years, right. that most people are getting better. You're not everyone, but most people over time, slowly, if they have long long COVID symptoms like shortness of breath or you know their lungs are healing, they're still in the process right. of healing and they're getting better and better. So that's helpful at least. Yeah, because I think a lot of people will think that, was oh, that a sign, you know, having shortness of breath, but it could mm-hmm. be, like you said, something from just going through with your lungs with COVID. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just scary. It's scary for men and women to realize, you know, there's so many... You know, you don't want to sit at your house and be like, oh, my gosh, I could get this. Or, oh, my God. I was more worried about breast cancer. Mm-hmm. This was my biggest thing because it runs in my family both sides. So I was always just thinking about I was not thinking about heart disease at all. Yeah, and I think there is so much more emphasis on breast cancer for women. I mean, it's one in eight. So still so super common. One in eight women. Yeah. And heart disease is one in five. Oh, my God. Yeah. So heart disease is still number one. Um, and, and breast cancer obviously is, is very common, but there there's just so much more awareness about breast cancer, I feel like. Yeah. And they do a great job at Because you at can kind of promoting. feel it sometimes, too. Like you could have a lump or something. With heart disease, you're not really mm-hmm. getting any thing on the surface. Mm-hmm. So right. that makes it even harder. Right, right. Oh. Yeah, it's different than a, than a structural problem you can feel. But even many breast cancers, you can't feel them early on. So it's always important to get a mammogram. And just right. and, and for, for heart disease, trying to prevent heart disease, it's important to make sure that you're looking at all those risk factors that can, that can lead up to it. Right. What so. do you recommend if somebody's listening and they haven't got a physical in a long time? How many times a year do you recommend that somebody has a physical but also make sure that they get their heart checked as well. Yeah, I think a yearly physical is really important. I think it just makes sense to go for a yearly physical and that allows the doctor then to come up with a treatment plan that can be implemented thereafter, right? So if they come come in and they they find things, they find things that that patient needs to work on or do or medication that they need to take to lower blood pressure or lower cholesterol, then that all then becomes follow-up visits, not just a physical. Right. So some patients at that physical will then need to come see the doctor more frequently yes. and some patients don't. They would just need to keep following yearly. And that allows the doctor an opportunity to risk stratify someone and see how high risk they are, try to treat any conditions that they find, and then also do preventative care with things like mammograms and colonoscopies and vaccines. Right. Because I I feel like when I turned 50 last year, I feel like everything hit the fan. It's a a lot. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do. Which I is, know. You know. It's like, hey, you're here for your fifty thousand mile check. Let's go. I got some homework for you. We got lots of stuff to do. Yeah. I, know. I felt like I was back in school because it was like, do you have this? Do you do this? And I'm like, oh no, maybe. I was starting to just make things up because I thought, well, maybe I do have this. <laughs> well, that's the thing. What more and more people you talk to, they're like, oh, I have this, and I'm like, wait a minute, I think I have that, or you know, does this mold look like really weird? You know. So I feel like you know, society that we just really have to take care of each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we're in this all together. And, you know, having doctors like you, Dr. Lamb, to really focus on your patients, every one of them, and make sure that they know that you are there to take care 
share with them. I mean, I can text her whenever and, you know, into our portal and just ask questions. And it's such a relief to have that. Yeah, it helps so much to have um, answers to your questions and to have support from your physician. So I think it's important, especially as we age and, and you develop symptoms and things that you're not quite sure about. Right. You don't know how worried to be. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I think that we take for granted in life is that we do have that. We just got to look for that access of we have someone who is going to not just take you in, okay, boom, boom, next, you know, someone mm-hmm. who can really sit down and talk to you and say, what is going on? Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people need to have more of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. And our and our healthcare system struggles, I think, to right. provide an environment that allows us to do that uh, as physicians. And that's right. why a lot of physicians are, are burnt out and struggling because they went into this to treat patients and to, and to listen to them. And so there's lots of constraints on their time. It makes it difficult to do that reliably every patient every day, which is frustrating why I chose to, to practice differently. But I, it is really important, I feel. Like for patients to have a primary care physician and to develop a relationship with someone uh, who can get to know them and to right. and to help them figure out are these new symptoms or are these things important for me to pay attention to? Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I, you know, what do you think as far as symptoms? What would you tell somebody so that we're we're going to get off the air here and I want somebody at home to be like, should they Google it? Like, I, that scares me when people Google heart oh, disease. Oh, gosh, yeah. Google is is really tough. Um, I mean, it, it provides so much information for people, but the problem is without medical education and without an understanding of the context, Google leads to death for everybody. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can find anything. Um, yeah. It, it's, you get a bite from a bug and you're uh, like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. I'm dying. That's, that's it. Google told me so. Yeah, you know? Google is scary. Um, so I think it, it it's a blessing and a curse. It can provide information, but it's it's better to, to try to run it by a, your doctor and make sure you're getting the type of care that you need. Right. And yeah. I you know, and I say that some of my friends or family that don't go to the doctor, some of them don't have the health care. They don't have the insurance to mm-hmm. cover a lot of these tests. Mm-hmm. So that's the hard that's the hardest thing that I feel that, you know. Yeah. You know, what can you do? It is true. I think if people elect not to carry insurance, sometimes it's worth paying for out of pocket for certain things. Because if, if you look at the cost of that compared to the cost of insurance, they're probably still not paying what they want on a monthly basis. Right. Um, I mean, I have a lot of patients in the practice who choose catastrophic coverage, so they're not pay- they're not paying a lot of monthly insurance. They they just have it for a horrible accident or, or cancer diagnosis or okay. something terrible. Just emergency, just like, emergency okay. type of coverage, and then ninety eight percent of everything else right. you know that they that they need. Um, and so, I mean, people are in the practice for lots of different reasons, but right. but people who don't have insurance, uh, I, I can understand that it's an expense. That, that could be hard for them. But I, I'd encourage them to get catastrophic coverage because... And it's, what is that? Honey? That means that it's just it's um, health insurance that kicks in if you have an enormous healthcare need. If you're in a car accident and you have surgery okay. and you have to be in the hospital for an extended period of time, that could bankrupt so somebody. So they could just apply for that? Yes, yeah, so you can choose plans that, that cover that. Usually they're high deductible plans and so right. you know you still have to pay a lot of regular routine preventative healthcare cost. That's right. the problem, yeah. I mean, you know, if there's anything you can do just to prevent something from happening, mm-hmm. you know, that's... 
I mean, why not do it? Yeah, and there's there's ways that you can, you know, gosh, drugstores have blood pressure cuffs. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, yeah, they do. They have cuffs that you can just go put your arm in. But people have cuffs at home. You can, you know, there, there's there's certain ways you can get some health parameters. Right. People have have watches now that can do the EKG. That I mean, is true. You you yeah. can tell like when you're sleeping or you're walking. That is true. Like a mm-hmm. smartphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have the um, the app on your actually your watch. So mm-hmm. when you anytime you you see it elevating because if at night sometimes when I'm sleeping I see the I'm like why is that going up mm-hmm. why is that yeah, you, you can feel see like, your heart rate oh gosh there's different stages of sleep and there's different release of chemicals that occur when people sleep and so in the morning for example we have a cortisol surge and that's like an adrenaline boost that gets us up for the day so right. when that happens heart rate goes up okay. and blood sugar goes up that's why people who fast and have diabetes have an elevated blood sugar so and don't it, be alarmed if you see your if you see that I have heart disease. Right, yeah, no, a lot of that's natural circadian rhythm things. But, um, yeah, there's lots of tools we have to try to, to help our health, and I, I try to pay attention to them for sure. Yes. I mean, I appreciate your time today to talk to us about heart disease because I really feel like it is that silent killer that we're not really talking about as much. Yeah, not as much awareness about it. Right. That's right. So hopefully uh, we were able yes. to provide that today. I, I think I that so. work because I learned a lot just listening to you, you know, and I'm so glad that I get taken care of. <laughs> I, I just appreciate your time today and everything. Is there any last words you would like to say? I think the message really uh, should be to listen to your body and to seek care uh, when when you're concerned and to establish with a, with a primary care physician that, that can get to know you. So, Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so Thank much. Thank you. Dr. Thanks for having I, me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It. This was Spill With Me, Jenny D. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me with Spill With Me, Jenny D. You can be anonymous, planning on having guest speakers, or anyone who wants to share their life experiences on the topic we covered that week. I'm going to post all that on my Facebook and website so you will see what I'll be talking about that week. So give me a call. I can pre-record and put you on my, my episode that day. I stress this. I personally feel to heal yourself is to talk about it. And if we can help each other instead of keeping it bottled up and just release it, I think that it's going to help all of us. And let's have a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Oh, I'm so excited. This is still with me, Jenny D.